welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Let's roll. Or welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Regardless of which intro you like, I'll give you both. So that's what you got. But uh, yeah, we're here on a Sunday morning and I'm going to do what I promise. I'm going to keep plugging away at these questions that you all sent in. Um, Had a pretty good two-hour podcast the other day, but uh, starting to get caught up and I am going to work my way through more of these questions from all of you out there. I appreciate everyone being patient with me as I had a little bit of time to myself. Um, But uh, first question here is going to be from Eric Fay. Um, He's asking, does adding more weight to the rear of the arrow, um, i.e. lighted knocks and fletchings, help to stiffen the spine or does it continue to break it down? So, Anytime you add weight to either side of the shaft, you're technically breaking it down. You're, you know, you just kind of think of think of it like any type of long handle that you have. The more weight you put on the end of it, the more that that's going to bend. And that happens regardless of which end of the arrow that you do that with. So, um lighted knocks, uh super heavy fletchings, um different types of bushing systems that they have on the back of the arrows, um, sleeves, some arrows take sleeves on the back. I've seen, I think there was a company called new fletch that had like an aluminum piece that went on the back of the arrow where you could unscrew the knock and just slide your veins in. So you didn't have to learn to fletch your own arrows. Um, but also adds a ton of weight and really reduces your FOC. So not really a, a great idea when it comes to practicality. Um, so yeah, the other thing too is, um, vinyl. So vinyl wraps can also stiffen the arrow too. Um, if you know, you're wrapping that on there because the weight of the vinyl is fairly light, but you're actually adding something that's, you know, that's a little bit stiffer around the outside edge of that shaft. So, um, it's kind of a fine line there. Certain points, for example, go further up inside of the shaft. So um, the further that that point is inside of that shaft, the more it'll stiffen the arrow, so to so to speak. Um, there, you know, that's kind of a, a loaded response because obviously adding weight to the end of that arrow will weaken it. However, um, the longer you slide a solid object inside of that shaft then technically your bending points are shorter so it's harder to get that so in other words if you have an arrow and you put a hundred grains on the front and a 50 grain uh you know fletching setup and knock on the back if that arrow is 29 inches long um it'll have a certain type of spine rating or flexibility But if you take that exact same arrow and then cut it down to where that's only 26 inches long with those same builds, um, that arrow is actually stiffer and that spine or, you know, how flexible that arrow is, is stiffer. So um, that's why, for example, 
on some of my target arrows, um, like for example, um, on my pro fields, um, which is a target arrow that I have, the pro fields, I can actually use an ACE um, insert, which is a tubed insert that slides way up inside of that shaft. And then you screw on little small bulge points on the end. And the reason I like that is because on for me personally, on my target setups, um, I'm kind of right in between a 410 or a 420 spine and a 380 spine. So what that allows me to do is that allows me to use that longer shank that goes up inside of the front of the, the arrow. And because it's longer, it stiffens that arrow just enough to where I can get away with that 420 shaft. Um, the other thing you've heard me talk about probably in the past as well um, is that, uh, for example, on an X10 arrow or a Pro Tour, um, you have the option of either using a tungsten point or a stainless steel point. The stainless steel points are much longer because the material itself has to be more to equal the same mass. So um, a stainless steel point, which are actually cheaper um, in like say 110 grains, that could probably be almost three inches long. Versus a tungsten, you would break off one little chunk and you would get it 110 grains. And on that tungsten, it's probably only about an inch and a half. So technically, even though the weight's the same, you've got almost an inch and a half less of that arrow that's actually flexing um, as it comes out of the bow. So you can get different response that way. But what you really want to do is try to be smart about um, the amount of weight that you put on the tail end of the arrow. Um, lighted knocks are okay, especially for people that are um, you know, shooting um, a heavier insert up in the front. If you're shooting a standard insert, they're still, they're still fine, um, but you're going to want to watch uh, how heavy of a fletch that you have or you know, how thick of a vinyl that you have or how long of a vinyl uh, cresting that you have on the back. So for example, if you're only shooting a two and a half or three inch vein, you don't want to have a five and a half inch piece of vinyl. It's just added weight on the back of the shaft that you're really not going to need. Uh, so, and by the way, I always kind of hiccup and uh, I guess internally belch when I'm in the first thing in the morning and drinking my first coffee. Wearing a brand new shirt right now. This is a shirt my buddy Sam Solholt gave me. For those of you listening, you can't see it, but for those of you watching live right now, you can see it. Um, public land tees and a portion of all um, portion of all of your price that you pay on the tees go to. Um, he has a donation program for public land, which is pretty cool. So um, help support Sam if you if you want to. Uh, let's see here. I've got uh, next questions from Irv Blitzer saying question about veins. Which vein should I use? Um, I shoot blazers, but I feel they aren't stabilizing my arrow. I shoot an elite impulse at seventy four pounds, uh, five hundred ten grain arrow. Um, let's see. I'd also love a shout out. Well, you got a shout out because I answered your question, dude. So shout out to Irv Blitzer. Um, 
Yeah, so Blazer Veins, um, they're not my favorite. They're obviously a lot of people use them, um, and they work really well for a lot of setups, but there's also a lot of broadheads on the market right now that they're not necessarily going to work well for, and that goes for any type of short, high-profile vein. So um, depending on the type of broadhead you're shooting, even, for example, I really prefer like an AAE Max Hunter, um, some of the AAE Max Hunters um, may not, uh, you know, they may not even stabilize some of those arrows. So in those cases, you have other options of putting an extra fletch on there. So um, if you are a Blazer fan, put a fourth one on there, try a four fletch. Um, you can do that pretty easy on your uh if you have a bits and burger jig, you have the option to do three fletch or four or two different options of four fletch. Or if you want to try a six fletch, like I did for Sharon, which is working really awesome. She's shooting great with that, uh, with a fixed blade head, by the way. Um, and she's shooting the Pro Max vein. So that's just a little small, less than a two inch vein, and it's short, it's a low profile, and it's really a target vein. But what I've done was you fletch the three and then you leave the jig, um, you know, the back of the jig exactly where it's at. Take the arrow out, rotate it 180 degrees, slide it back in and just refletch three again and you'll have a six fletch and it's a dynamite setup. Um, so yeah, if you like blazers, but you feel like you're not getting the steering that you want, then just add an extra vein to that mix. Otherwise, that's why I personally like the Max Stealth vein because it's a three-inch vein. So um, obviously, three three-inch veins um, is about equal to a four-fletch of the others. So it really just depends on what you find when you when you try these different ones out. If you take three or four arrows fletched one way or three or four arrows fletched another way. Um, you know, go out, go ahead and get a good mark at like 60, 70, 80 yards and, uh, shoot three arrows down there with your blazer veins, then shoot three arrows down there with the four fletch and then shoot three arrows down there with the three inch. And what you'll find is certain arrows are going to hit <clears throat> higher than others. You may find the groupings are a little bit different as well. Um, and that's all relative to drag. So... Um, you can really figure out what you like. I personally, um, two of my, I shot a four fletch uh, two years ago, I think. I shot a four, four fletch for most of the season and liked it. Um, but I do think that if you wanna, um, if you wanna just try something different, try that six fletch, but with a shorter vein. A six fletch with your blazers is probably gonna have a lot of drag and be very noisy. Um, so you kind of have to uh, you kind of have to watch that. Um, I'm gonna say hi to everyone right now. There's a lot of people watching from their stand, so hopefully you have some earbuds um, for this podcast. Anyway, um, next question here is gonna be from Last Stand Outdoors. He's saying on a limb driven rest. Um, so this is an arrow rest that's attached to your limb, and the limb actually pulls that arrow rest out of the way as you shoot. Um, is there such thing as setting the timing um, on how far the arrow travels before the rest starts to fall? Um, he's saying that he has a rest um, 
and can change how far the arrow travels before. So you kind of answered your own question. You said that your rest does allow you to do that. And yes, um, some rests you can. So you do that by changing um, really that the speed of that spring when it comes up. So with the limb-driven rest, when you're setting the rest up, the rest is actually up when you first set up the the bow and you adjust it it's up and that rest has a spring in it to where it, you know you can pull it down to your limb and it'll pull it flat to your riser and then as you draw your bow back and your limbs bend that arrow rest comes up um, and it comes up ba- you know at a speed based on uh, that spring tension so you know there are different ways to change the the speed of how far how fast something gets out of the way, um, and this was the case on fallaways too. You could add a spring um, to your fallaway rest so that it slowed it down. Like you could add a spring in the middle of the cord, or a piece of rubber in the middle of that cord to where it you know would stay up a little bit longer, not pull it down so fast. That was one of the original problems with some of the first fallaway rests that were attached to the cable is that they just came out of the way so fast that it didn't really support the arrow long enough so people would have to slow them down. Um, so what I've found with the limb-driven systems, which is really why I per- really like um, the Elevate rest, which we have now, and we've got... Um, a lot, almost every improvement that I wanted to have at the very beginning is now actually, um, it's actually happening. It's in the package. Every single thing that I wanted is now completed and coming out of the factory that way. But the speed, what I like is I like a rest that supports that arrow about until the label of your arrow. So I do want it to support it for about nine to 10 uh, inches of that ride you don't want it to go down too fast otherwise you just start to get tears that you can't control when your speed of your arrow rest um, getting out of the way is correct what you'll find is when you move your arrow rest right left up or down you'll find that your paper tears actually respond so in other words if you move your arrow rest down all of a sudden your arrows start to tear higher through paper and that's telling you that you're getting really good support for the right amount of time Um, and i think regardless of what brand limb driven style rest you have most of the limb driven ones do a really really good job of um, supporting that now some of the ones that i don't personally prefer um, well, I'm just going to say I like a limb driven style. Um, some of the automatic ones, um, some of the automatic rests, even though they're great brands, um, I've just known that there's times where they don't actually get out of the way and you don't really have the option to change the speed. So, um, I just really prefer a limb driven style and I prefer my limb driven, um, cable coming down to the bottom limb and not up to the top. That was one thing that I changed when I started um, creating the elevate rest was um, the original pro drops went to the upper limb and um, the bracket that actually the arm that actually came off the rest um, was really made for that style because once you reverse the spring and brought it to the bottom it actually 
contacted when you tried to move it too far uh, to the left. It would contact the arrow rest and bind itself. So actually made a new little design for that. So um, if you see an elevate rest, you'll notice that there, even the brackets, um, there's several things that are different from the original um, Pro Drop. So hopefully that works out. Another thing too um, that I want to say is I've seen a lot of people on the road. I've met a lot of a lot of knock-on people while I've been traveling these last several months, and a lot of you out there, um, a lot of you out there will uh, start using the Elevate, and you're using it for another bow, even though you know you might have bought it last year. Now you're moving it over to another bow again, um, and for those situations. I want you to make sure you notice that um, the steel cable that comes on your uh, elevate rest, you know, once you tighten that down tight, and if you loosen it and try to move it to a, a you know, to a different length for a different bow, um, you know, you're going to have those spots where you've bound in that screw into that cable. Um, and that could be a, a possible weakness area so be mindful of that um, you know if you really like the steel cable you can buy another one from AAE otherwise like on my bows that you've seen um, every time I set up a bow I don't take a brand new rest out of the package um, just like I don't take uh, a new sight out of the package uh, hardly ever so um, when I moved my elevate rest from um, my old bow to Frankenbow, you'll notice that if you start looking in my pictures, you'll see I don't have a steel cable anymore. I actually have just D-loop material. D-loop material works really, really well. Um, and I think it even may travel a little bit better too. So like when you're putting in your bow case and things are on your bow case, um, with that cable, if you stretch it a little bit, it's a little bit tougher to loosen it and get it really tight again and tighten it back up. Um, if you have kind of put some weight on there and stretched it a bit, um, whereas with the D-loop material, you can just loosen it, pull it tighter again, and tighten it back up. Uh, it works really good. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, let's see, another question here I just saw. I'm going to just answer this because uh, this is actually a subject that I wanted to talk about. Um, this is actually a subject coming in on Instagram was asking, do I think Easton will come out with an insert system to support uh, the Deep Six Arrow with standard broadheads? I don't really know that, but what I will say is um, the new VAP um, half-out inserts that they make for the VAPs, um, those do work on the injections. The internal diameter is the same and they have a brand new one that isn't near as long as the old one. And what I mean by this is the deep six, the injection arrow is very, very small. So the deep six thread is a smaller thread. So you can't use a standard broadhead. Like for example, if you have a standard, um, a standard rage hypodermic, you can't use that standard thread size. You actually have to buy a package that says Deep Six, and it's a smaller thread. And you're going to want to watch out as a consumer. You're going to want to watch out for that on the rack. Um, one of my buddies up in Canada had called and was having problems, he said, getting his uh, broadheads to stay in some arrows that I made for him. And then after talking further, I ended up finding out um, he had bought 
um, he didn't realize that on the package he had bought deep six threading. Um, so it really wouldn't bind in there. It would just kind of slide in and out. So, um, and it's some of the packaging is a little bit trickier to see. Um, but the, what these inserts that we're talking about, what they do is it's actually like a half out. So in other words, there's a long shank that'll go inside of the shaft. And then where that butts up to the end of the shaft, there'll almost be a tapered part of material to where it'll allow you to screw in a larger diameter thread or really a standard broadhead thread size. Um, when I first got the uh, the deep sixes um, or the, the injections, when I first got them, I, at that time I was actually shooting... Um, I was shooting hypodermics, I was shooting shuttle tees, and I was shooting ulmer edges, and neither of them, none of them came in a deep six thread size. So I actually, um, for all the first injections I shot, I just bought the um, adapters from VAP and glued them in the end of my injections and shot a standard insert. Uh, and VAP does make, um, they do make brass ones as well, so you can really... Uh, boost your FOC um, in a deep six injection if you want to. Um, so that's a pretty good option. Um, and honestly, I've I've considered going back to a deep six injection uh, several different times. Um, now that they've got see what happened was when the injections first came out, they were playing around with different sizes. Um, Easton made me some injections in a 280 spine, um, which was perfect for me because it allowed me to take that injection, put that VAP insert in there. I had good FOC and it was a very, very high penetrating arrow. Um, but then once they went into production, they actually removed that 280 spine from availability. And the only ones they had were those first 24 that they had made me. Um, so once they went back to only having, um, you know, the 330 spines, it just 330 spine at my draw length and my poundage does not work for me. Um, so I just didn't have the option. The other thing too is um, there's there's um, some guys that took um, some small brass uh, welding wire and just epoxied it in the very back end of the deep six inserts, and it made the inserts 50 grains of brass, which worked really awesome for me too. Once um, I did have some broadheads that did have that deep six size. So I don't, I think Easton launches their, well, Easton does launch, uh, I think they do their, their launch this next week or the end of this next week is when they have their big sales meeting and their launch. Um, so if there's anything there, I'll know. I haven't specifically asked that question. If I'm totally honest, one thing that um, prevents me from using the deep six injection um, doesn't have anything to do with Easton. What it has to do with is I really, really like shooting lighted knocks. I love lighted knocks. I think lighted knocks are very important for hunters. Um, I know that a lot of my recoveries um, have really, um, I guess, 
adapted and changed over based on where I see my arrow impact. Um, I know that I've recovered animals that I probably would have went in on too fast and bumped just because of the fact I was able to watch it back and see where that arrow hit perfectly and realize, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take precaution here and I'm going to just, you know, leave this buck overnight. Um, versus, you know, if you just base it off what you see with your naked eye, it's easy to just say, oh, that was behind the shoulder. Perfect. I'm going to go in, which one of my buddies actually did um, this last week. He came back and he could swear up and down that it was perfect, like perfect heart shot. He was saying perfect heart shot. Um, and luckily for him, uh, he didn't have his flashlight ran out. So he ended up coming back to camp and they were going to go back out immediately to recover that deer, but I was just in the process of pulling that big spread of food off the Traeger, which if you follow my social media, you would have saw that huge spread of food. And I said, well, why don't you guys just eat? You know, And they said, well, let's go grab this buck. We'll be right back. And I said, well, this everything's going to be cold. Why don't you guys eat first? So we ended up eating first, and that took about an hour or so. And then by the time they went back and started tracking that deer, the deer um, had expired. However, um, all of them were pretty conclusive that that hit was quite a bit further back than what they thought. And they said, yeah, it looked like, you know, he didn't go down right away. So, you know, from that aspect alone, if should he have had that lighted knock, he would have really had a whole different experience. He would have knew he was further back. He could have waited. So in saying all that, the lighted knocks in the very, very small sizes, they're not super rigid. And what I mean by that is there's a battery that goes up inside of that knock. So because of that, the outer wall of the knock is actually where it fits into the arrow is slightly thinner than a standard knock that comes out of Easton. If you look at those small knocks that Easton makes for the injection, they're very stiff and they're super accurate, but they're not lighted. Now the lighted ones are longer and the walls are thinner, so you can actually, there's some bend in that knock. And what I found is the knock, when it has bend in it, um, and some brands are worse than others, if a knock is flexible, it doesn't have as much accuracy. So for that reason alone, I just feel like um, I like, you know, and this is splitting hairs, people. This is like some of the small factors when I'm weighing out arrow A, B, C, or D. These are the small things. You know, I line all these things up and I weigh out pros, I weigh out cons, and I come out with what is the best. So I'll look at speeds i'll look at ke's i'll look at components i'll look at tolerances um, and i'll look at which one flies best with a head and i'll look at what my options are for knocks um, and then you know and bushing systems like for example some arrows you have to have a bushing on the back of the shaft some you do not so all that stuff weighs in to um, you know how i look at that um, so thanks for the question um, I forgot who asked that, but thanks for the question on Instagram. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know how. I think it's Gana Austin is asking, uh, what do you take into the woods uh, for tree stands for your whitetail hunt? So um, for my whitetail hunts, I've 
I just am a big, big um, believer in lone wolf stands. Lone wolf, I've used them for, man, I don't know. I've probably used them for maybe 15 or so years now. Um, as soon as I was shown the proper way to like to be able to hang a stand on and how that bat wing works to be able to use different sections, different thirds of that bat wing to be able to actually set your stand vertical, even on a crooked tree. Um, and then just how it bites down. Uh, I'm just a big fan of lone wolf. So I take those, um, one thing I guess I do want to say is make sure I'm saying this because this weekend I went and or this past weekend um, I was hunting down in Oklahoma with several friends. Some of the sets were mine, some of the sets were other people's, and we I kind of bounced around just based on the wind. And I went into a set and there was no bottom strap on the stand, and the top strap looked like it was pretty dry rotted. This isn't anything any of you out there should mess around with. Listen, it's super cheap to call and buy replacement straps for your tree stands, and you should always have one on the top and the bottom. One, the bottom strap um, is critical because what happens is once you take, you should always have your stand, have the platform up, Wrap the top strap around the stand, pull all the slack out of the strap by pulling on it as hard as you can. Then with the platform up, you grab the whole stand and you seat it down. You pull it down. Then you take the platform and you start to lower the platform about three quarters of the way down. You take the bottom strap, wrap it around the tree, get it the strap level, pull the slack out of that strap and then you push the stand down that last third and it it just bites that whole stand into the tree. I've seen people do this wrong so many times even with lock-ons they'll try to get the the chain tight around the tree with the platform up. The platform is almost like a cantilever system on a big like toe down strap on a semi you know, or a big like chain down strap, you you really want to have that platform up while you get the top strap as tight as you possibly can. And then when you lower the platform and the platform bites into the tree and pushes the stand out away from the tree, it, it takes away that slack and tightens that thing in. Make sure you're doing that because believe me, you don't, you don't want to be in the hospital uh, with your kidney blown out like I was. Uh, if you try to get on a stand without a dang bottom strap on it and it kicks out on you and you fall 20 feet onto your back, it's not cool. And it's really not cool if you throw a set of rattling horns in your backpack or anything like that. So, uh, and that's another safety protocol too. Um, you know, make sure you guys have safety lines from the tops of your trees down to the bottom. If you have a super, super heavy backpack, um, you know, pull that backpack up once you're up there and you're tethered in your stand. You know, it's hard enough for people to, to grab on a limb and save their life when they fall off a tree stand or a tree peg uh, when they have their own body weight. If you add another 60 or 70 pounds what's jammed in your backpack, 
um, that's also going to be a problem. So make sure you uh, make sure you pay attention to that. You know, small stuff like that can definitely save lives. Uh, next question here is from Nick underscore Livin says, "Do you prefer multiple pins on your site or an adjustable single pin?" I like multiple pins um, for sure. Now my wife shoots single pin, my boy shoots a single pin, but they're in very, you know, I call them controlled hunting situations. In other words, I'm always over their back. They're just sitting there looking at the animal, waiting for the opportunity for the shot. I'm they have their hand on their sight, and I'm literally sitting behind them, ranging, saying 23 yards. They are moving their pin to exactly 23 yards, and then they're making their shot. And if that animal moves again, then they have to move their sight. That can get to be a real pain in the butt. And the slower that you shoot, the more those few yards start to really make a big difference inaccuracy so i really like a multiple pin site that allows you to move all of the multiple pins to where you can then shoot further distance so in other words like on my site um, which i shoot now and they don't make it anymore but there's going to be a new version coming out here um, after the first of the year Um, but what i do is i'll have my 20 30 40 50 so anything from 20 to 50 i know my pins i can make a shot i don't even have to adjust anything anything 50 or further i just roll my dial i move the whole sight moves down and i just use my bottom pin so that 50 yard pin then becomes everything from 50 out to 120 um let's see next question here is from uh wit bry um, asking what steps do you take when building indoor arrows? I've heard of some people using a spine tester. Um, uh, Timmy G has a video saying paper tunes each bear shaft before fletching it. Um, what's your steps to getting a dozen arrows to all fly the same? Well, there's a couple things. One, a spine tester and a and a arrow you know straightness tester is certainly relative. Um, If you want to, you can float arrows. You can put them in a bathtub and float them. Um, The heaviest part of the air, you know, pretty much that arrow is circular. So there's a part of that arrow, if it's aluminum, where when the arrows comes together, there's pretty much like a seam that's welded, right? So um, if it's carbon, depending on the type of carbon, if it's rolled or if it's pultruded, Uh, depending on the type of carbon, there may be a heavy side to that. So the heaviest part of the spine will float to the bottom. So what you can do is if you put them all in a bathtub and float them, you could easily just go through with a paint marker and touch the top of the arrow of everyone laying in the tub. And that is pretty much marking the weak spine for you. So then you either have the option to Um, fletch every one of those arrows with your cock vein on that side of the spine if you want. Um, However, honestly, this is like starting to get super deep. This is like stuff that if you're really wanting to be able to put arrows in a shooting machine and kind of shoot in the same hole at 100 yards, this is the kind of stuff that you have to do. Um, I've never gone through that trouble on my indoor arrows. Now I do, um, work on knock indexing. So in other words, I'll flet, I'll fletch up a whole dozen arrows and if all of a sudden I've got one or two arrows that might not be flying within, you know, within the center X. 
sometimes I'll just take note of that arrow and I'll put my knock tool on the end of that arrow and I'll rotate that knock, um, you know, 90 degrees or so, you know, I'll rotate it 120 degrees, move it around and then, you know, see if I can pull that arrow back into the group. If you're shooting good high quality arrows with, you know, 1000 straightness factors and 1000th weight tolerances, this is going to be stuff that you really shouldn't have to do. Shades, lay down. Um, so I don't think, you know, I think people that are putting that much consideration into that um, is going a bit deep, um, especially if you're going to have to um, do that with each individual arrow, um, especially from a company that is, you know, making, I know they, I know Gold Tip makes a very good arrow. So you would think as consumers, we really wouldn't have to go through that much trouble. If I'm doing super long range competition stuff, I may do that. Um, but that's not at 20 yards where you're shooting, you know, with a four inch feather or a three inch vein, or sometimes even a five inch feather where you're stabilizing the arrow really fast. Um, the things that are most important is having all of your arrows fletched on the same jig. This could be more important than anything. So if you go and you're trying to build a dynamite indoor setup and you take it to an archery shop that has this big wheel where every single jig on that wheel could have a slightly different offset, then you don't know that you're getting perfectly cloned arrows. So like here at my house, when I take on um, a new client, like for example, you guys have seen lately, I've been sharing a lot of information for um, like Andy Stumpf. I really like Andy. He's a close friend. And when I first started working with him, you know, I really worked with him based on the fact that, you know, Rogan called me and asked me to as a favor. So, um, so I had Andy come here and then, you know, once I weren't working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, you know, they actually have a jig here that has their name on it. So they um, I know that, you know, every single arrow that I ever build for Rogan is built on Rogan's jig. And there's like three names assigned to that jig. There's certain names assigned to other ones. And it's all based on what offsets and things that I find that work best for certain setups and combinations. Um, so every single arrow is built and cloned perfectly on that same jig. Every vein has the exact same offset. And if those arrows are ever refletched, they're refletched exactly the same. So that your fletching is critical. The next thing is going to be that I can tell you when it comes to indoor setup and really being super finite with precision. Um, the next thing is going to be just making sure your point weight and your total arrow weight is very uh, very, very true. So, you know, a lot of times with my indoor points, you know, you really want to have a high quality indoor, indoor points. So like, for example, pro points, um, are really good, high, super high quality point. Um, they're definitely more expensive, but the tolerances are good. And when you glue them in the shaft and you weigh that shaft, you know, I get all my indoor arrows that are, you know, within tenths of a grain of one another. Um, so those are critical. And then the next thing is going to be, I think even more so than how that arrow is spining, because again, I'm not going to go shoot an indoor event with a junky arrow that, you know, that I can 
grab six of them at Walmart. Like if you're going out and buying some um, 2315, uh, some X23s, or if you're going out and buying a, you know, uh, a high grade gold tip arrow you shouldn't have to worry about having an arrow that has a spine that's so jacked up that it's not going to shoot in the center of your target and like i do like i said if you do have one you know sometimes you can spin one arrow and it's wobbly one they'll take it back and they'll give you a new one um, but two if you have that you know try just turning that knock a little bit you know rotate that knock to the next vein to where you're shooting the next vein up or out um, and you'll be able to you can actually turn that and if you do have spine that's fairly inconsistent you can walk you can actually move that arrow that gr how it groups kind of around on the target if it's if it's a bad one if it's a true one uh, you really shouldn't have to worry about that um, and then the last thing I wanted to say was knock fit so really making sure that your arrow fits clean onto the serving of your string. This is something that's critical. Um, a lot of people don't have knock fit that's proper. They'll just buy a string, take a knock. Some knocks fit tighter than others. Um, for example, like I really, on my X23s, um, I'll take the Super Knocks out and I put in the Super 3D Knock. I really like the Super 3D Knock. And I'll also, I'll um, always re-serve um, my serving down with a thickness based on my string material or my strand count um, to where it'll click on the serving when I snap it on there. But I can roll that string inside of the throat of the knock. And then also when I grab the back of the knock and I kind of turn it up or down like if i have the sides of the knock and you try to just rock it back and forth you don't want to be able to twist it up twist it down you don't want slop in there like that you want it fairly tight but you also want to be able to slightly push on the back and it pops right off uh, with really good clearance all that stuff is critical to building a proper arrow for indoor more so than spending um, a lot of time uh, I like Gillingham, but he does do some super unorthodox things that uh, a lot of people out there could save themselves a lot more. You could do a lot more f for yourself by reserving a proper serving fit or making sure you fletch, take the extra time to fletch all your arrows on the same jig or even just taking the time to try different fletch combinations or point combinations in your indoor setup more so than spending that kind of time that he was doing. Um, let's see. Next question here is from Cody Griffin saying, when are the silverback and knock to it coming back in stock? Um, I told you all it's probably going to be closer to the end of the year um, before those are back. I think we're going to have some mini silverbacks coming. So, Depending on your hand size, you we should have some mini silverbacks coming. But yeah, knock to its silverbacks and two smooths are kind of all in the pipeline. So it's just fingers crossed of when those are gonna come. I decided that the two smooths are gonna be black, uh, etched out in silver. So the name and logo will be etched out in silver. The release will be black, so if you've got the three, you'll have black, silver, and green. So that's going to be how they come. Um, let's see here. Next 
The next question is from, um, let's see, I don't know. I think this is Reams, Sean, R-E-A-M-S, Sean, saying, I quit asking questions. I never get them answered. Well, you missed your chance, dude. (laughs) And what's funny is um, I saw this the other day, and I actually uh, insta-stalked you. And I looked back through my private messages to see if you had sent any that I hadn't been able to get to, and you had not. So I apologize that I didn't get to your question, but I I did try. Um, So next question here is from the Venture Soldier. He's saying frothy equals lung shot. So I'm assuming saying, oh, he's looking at the arrow that's on my post. So yeah, there's... The arrow that was on this post where I asked you to ask questions, it was a it was a bloody arrow. You could see bubbles in the fletching, um, in the blood on the fletch. And yeah, if you're seeing bubbles in your blood like that, then that's a very good indicator that there's air getting into that blood. So um, for sure, that was um, that arrow in particular was a double lung shot. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Let's see. It's J. Leo Hunt Fish is asking, do you focus more on hunting the right winds for a stand or do you rely heavily on scent control, sprays, ozonics, carbon? So to me, the wind is everything. You're not going to, you're really, well, I'm going to say a few things. One, um, scent control for me seems to be impossible. I have a bow I have camera gear. I have a backpack. Um, f- just from that aspect alone, just from taking my camera, bringing it in the house, loading footage onto my hard drives, putting them back in, the camera's in the house, my dog's in this room, the camera goes back in my backpack. I don't, you know, I don't like put my backpack in a scent free wash every day. Um, so from that aspect, it's it's just not applicable um now i do like ozonics um i think that i have i have ozonics and i'm not sponsored by ozonics um i use them and i have the ozonics um that big bag that you know kind of their little closety thing that you put your gear in there and then run the ozonics on that um i do think it works um, I, I definitely think it helps and I definitely think there's times where it has worked the way they've said. Um, but there's also times where I know that it, there's too much wind or the wind is shifting and the way that ozone's blowing over your scent isn't containing it all. Um, also, you know, I'm six foot five. So how that ozone works uh, with a taller person versus a shorter person, especially me being this tall, having a camera arm that's out here with something that's contaminated, a bow that's over here that's contaminated. Um, it just gets to be really tough. So for me, wind is everything. Um, you know, I, I hunted, um, I hunted 10 days down in Oklahoma and I probably, I think I only hunted the same place Um, I hunted the same spot twice, I think two or three different times. And the reason was, is because I just always bounced around with the wind. And even if I, even if I was on a good deer and I knew that there was a deer there that day, it sucked 
but I had to just, you know, I was going to ruin it for other people. Um, or I was going to ruin it for myself by forcing that issue. So for me, wind is everything. If you have one setup, like for example, um, a buddy of mine used to lease 40 acres to hunt. And that's all he had to hunt. That was the only thing that he could hunt. Or maybe he had permission. I don't even know if he leased it. So I told him, I'm like, well, you know, you have, we have to have, you have to set this thing up to be able to hunt three different winds on this place you can't you can't come in here and if it's a day that you want to hunt and it's a south wind you can't just come in and force the situation now if you're in like a fully contained like redneck blind like the fiberglass blind and have an ozonics you have a better opportunity to get away with a little bit more but i still think that you're forcing the issue um and i think that if you just really play the wind more than anything you're going to have you're going to have the best year that you've had even if you're not going to spots where you necessarily feel like you're seeing the biggest deer um there's a good chance where if you force the wind and go into spots with the wrong wind if the deer that you want to see is there there's a good chance you may not see that deer ever again once you blow them out of there the same is true with elk the same is true with mule deer um so on that mule deer that i shot down in um in or up in alberta there were several days where the wind was not correct for me to be able to try to make a stock on that buck where he was and the day that I did get my stock, I actually, it was almost a two mile full loop to get around to get the wind favorable before I even tried that. Um, and same was true with that elk. So if you watch my Instagram feed with the bull that I shot in Alberta, I spotted that elk a few miles away and we were just bombing it, legging it, just running as fast as we can because the way the wind was blowing I had to literally get almost a full half mile around that bull um, in order to be able to set up and have an opportunity at that bull as it was exiting uh, that field. So always play the wind. Um, I think scent-free soaps can help. I think Ozonics has helped me. I think it all comes down to how offensive that smell is. You know, there's sometimes um, you can walk in the house and one person in the house says, man, I think I can smell the garbage. But there's other times where you come in and everybody says, holy cow, the garbage reeks. So that's the difference between being a little bit offensive and very offensive. So I think scent-free soaps um, are relative I think trying your best to minimize scent is important, um, but playing the wind uh, works awesome too. A lot of the outfitters I've used over the years are just total farmers, and I've I don't know how many times I've gone out and shot animals out west with a rancher or a farmer that's out there in his flannel top and blue jeans and smelling like a chainsaw and underneath a diesel truck and just get the wind right and make a good stock and works out fine so i think that's always the better option 
Uh, let's see here. I'm going to do one more question. Uh, this is from CF Bowlers asking for a good starter compound bow package for hunting. So um, I really like that uh, that Power Max or um, uh, there's there's several that Hoyt's making right now. Um, that are in a very good price range. And like I said, I think I talked about this on the podcast yesterday. It's pretty much the same as, um, or last the other day when I did the podcast, it's the same as the Alpha Max that, um, that I used to shoot as my main bow. Um, it's very, very compatible. Um, you can get them as a package as well. Um, so, you know, you can... It's uh, it's called the Power Max. They also have a Clash, um, which the Clash is a bow that has a lot of draw length adjustment. I'm just a way bigger, um, I'm just a way bigger fan of the Power Max because, like I said, it more or less is an Alpha Max, um, which was a great bow for me, one that I had a lot of success with. Uh, shoots really good, and I know the price range is is right, so. Uh, maybe check that one out. Um, there's a lot of good ones out there, but what I like about what I like about um, that particular one is that there's not um, corners that are being cut, like on the small things, like the strings and cables, for example. On some of the price point bows that you see on the shelves, like for example, I've you know gone and seen like some bows at Walmart or you know, some of the cheaper off-brand private label ones at Cabela's, and you start to look at the strings and cables, there's no twists in them, the servings look loose, like all that little stuff starts to really add up into not making a quality product. Um, So that's the one that I really like, um, and I like it that way for a reason. So uh, Appreciate everything, everybody. I'm going to wrap up this knock-on podcast, and I'll be coming at you again, uh, answering more of those questions next time. So make sure you get out in the woods and uh, stay safe if you're in a tree stand. Please, we'll see you later. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com